Like this pullover thing, he's everything he's wearing is just totally unreal. I've actually been thinking a lot about fleeces. Yeah. And how for a long time, it was all about them for the past two years. It's been all about crispy fleece. Now yeah. it's all about like curled, like left outside fleece. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe a little has something weird on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely cooked fleece. Yeah. <laughs> no, yes, a cooked fleece. And that's what Kanye is wearing in that crazy photo with Elon Musk. He's wearing a cooked fleece that that's he right. probably fished out of the bottom of one of those trash bags in that profile of John Caramonica. That's right. Though, yeah, what has anyone ID'd the orange fleece he's wearing? I mean, I guess it's probably like a Yeezy prototype, either gap or just not, right? Or is it something? We don't know. We don't know. Only cooked fleece. He got it from one of those like Wyoming thrift stores, probably. It probably used to belong to Josh Hartnett. <laughs> That's where you're going with this. What do you yeah. What do you think Josh Hartnett is wearing? What is that top? Because if you zip it all the way down, it opens in this like crazy sort of avant-garde shape. Right, like that dinosaur in Jurassic Park that like blossoms open and destroys yeah. you with its screams. It's like a three-quarter zip. What do you mean? Uh, Have you seen it open before? No, no, no. But just if you look at the the zipper mechanism, you've seen Hartnett's bare chest. No. It's a. It is a three-quarter. It's more like a two-thirds zip. And uh, Patagonia has done those before. Like it's not a totally uncommon thing. This isn't Patagonia, but it is generally a design I've seen before. I had a I had a J Crew collection, forest green alpaca uh, zip that zipped at that level at that depth. In two, I bought it in two thousand and eight. The peak of J. Crew, the the lowest point in our in our country this century thus far. The, the real like the fashion, what fashion needs right now is for someone to go through Getty's celebrity image archive and add fashion credits. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know who could do that is Christopher Barnard and Ian Bradley, the two of them together. All right, we're gonna get them on the project, and we'll get. Maybe those guys can come on the pod and we can do a little bit of it live and just like kick it off and then send it to the folks at Getty and kind of like start the conversation. Absolutely. Um, I'll post a link to this Josh Hartnett fit in the uh, episode description too. Yeah, we'll get we'll get this we'll get this out there for everyone to see. Um, well, wait, welcome back to Luxury Avenue. This is um, Luxury Avenue episode one, and um, the premiere. The Globe's premier luxury fashion uh, lifestyle customer service podcast, GQ's podcast about clothes, Corporate Lunch episode 99. Howdy. Sam and Rachel are here, as you know. Josh Hartnett not here at the moment. But maybe he'll call in later. Where to begin? If we don't run out of time. Where to begin? Rachel's got a story up about the the uh diet prada fiasco i wouldn't call it a fiasco it's a what did vanessa freeman call telfar a brouhaha yeah a brouhaha <laughs> what who says that what kind i think of... it's pronounced brouhaha brouhaha <laughs> well, i felt like that's such a like a condescending 
um, I felt like that was a little condescending to call it a brouhaha, wasn't it? Isn't that what like little kids would get involved in? I guess I don't really know what a brouhaha is. <laughs> I mean, I understand. I know what the word means, but I don't. I can't tell you. Like, I'm just gonna look up brouhaha. But Vanessa Freeman was referring to the brouhaha. A noisy um, and overexcited reaction or response to something. Overreaction. Like, it, it just feels like, I don't know. Was there any overreaction? But what, she's, she was using brouhaha to refer to Telfar's canceled gap collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gap announced in Paris in January that they were going to do a collab with Telfar, right? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty crazy to me that that was like just this January. I mean, six months ago, six months isn't a very long time in the fashion world. You know, six months is like, that's one unit of time in fashion. It's like the equivalent of an hour. Right. So an hour ago, the Gap announced that Telfar was going to do this collab in pretty spectacular fashion, right? Like, yeah, there was a big party. I went to the party. Was it killer? I heard Kate Moss was there. Well, Anytime Kate Moss. Go. Um, I didn't want to go. I was there that night. Yeah. I probably went home and went to sleep. Or I just sat at a cafe and smoked cigarettes. Yeah, I think you sat on Evan's or your weird deck with Evan and just smoked cigarettes for a really long time. <laughs> They announced it, but they had no real information, right? I mean, there, there was just, it was just like, this is going to happen maybe sometime next year. There, were no, there was no preview or anything. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand and also what Chantal reported for the business of fashion, they, like a couple of times that I, or when I asked, they said it was coming out later in the year um sometime in the spring and Chantal said that he'd actually created pieces like created samples for them mm. um like a pretty sizable collection of samples and and he people, had 30 designs other yeah yeah other people on twitter were saying that they've seen photographs of the samples oh which is kind of cool actually i mean this idea of there being this secret telfar yeah. collection that we like may never see yeah you just drop it anyways and call it the brouhaha collection maybe they'll um he could they'll like kick it down to old navy yeah he said in his system interview that he loves old navy so but since january it's basically been crickets on that other than just like some rumors you know Mm -hmm. right i mean obviously a lot has happened covid wise and then, and then sort of suddenly the Kanye, the Yeezy Gap announcement. Well, Antoine Gregory, who tweets as Bibby Gregory and is a fashion writer and archivist and who I think has worked a little bit for Telfar and has also worked for Pierre Moss. Um, he tweeted a few weeks ago that it had been postponed, um, that the Telfar collection had been postponed. So I think that was kind of, at least some people knew that. Um, but then when the Kanye partnership was announced, it, I guess it came as a surprise to Telfar and his team. They had not heard anything about it. Right. And like the postponement, the initial postponement 
That's not that surprising. I mean, lots of things have been postponed um, for production reasons and whatnot mm-hmm. this year. You've really got a feel for Telfar because, I mean, the guy like labors for 14 years to try to um, prove that he can, that his brand, that Telfar deserves to be recognized alongside the big names in the industry. And he does it um, by pushing this super unique vision and um, doing gender fluid clothing before anyone else and really trying to dress people who like, you know, the luxury uh, fashion world isn't really going after. And then January was such a big moment for him. He, he showed at um, PT Womo, Uh, which was a bit, which is like a a big milestone for any sort of any independent brand. The Gap thing came out. He got a big, you know, the Bushwick Birkin uh, moment happened. Uh He got a big New Yorker profile. Um, It all looked like, you know, everything looked like it was really coming up Telfar. And then, I mean, shit hit the fan. You know, every brand got, um, has been getting smacked by coronavirus, but like Telfar doesn't do um, a ton of e-com. So, Apparently he got, you know, hit pretty hard by wholesale cancellations. Right. Yeah. Deal ended up falling apart. They were not, I mean, they definitely weren't going to pay him. It seems to me, unless, uh, you know, it, it, without this uh, sort of outcry that happened um, and sort of social media campaign on his behalf. Right. They were just like, it seems like they were just planning to ghost on him. Yeah. But the thing that's sort of, I mean, the, the thing that's important to remember about Telfar is like, you know, those bags are really successful. Like he makes a lot of money from those bags. I don't know what the number is off the top of my head, but he shared it before, I think in a Mm -hmm. Wall Street Journal story from last year. Uh Um, And he's been dropping those bags and they've been selling out. So this idea that like Telfar is somehow this um, like unsuccessful underdog is like kind of a strange um, narrative. Yeah push you know he's it just seems like a big it was a big miscommunication uh from the gap to to put it euphemistically you know right it's like i mean they could have they honestly could have and should have just done both projects i mean i just i feel really confused about like why you would postpone like postponing something due to covid doesn't really I don't really understand what that means. Right. Well, I mean, there, there have been like, if for instance, the factories that were meant to produce the collection were closed and then they were behind schedule for a very long time, but it's, it's gone from postponed to canceled, right? It's to like not happening. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, the other thing though, is that gap uses a lot of, um, factories in Bangladesh. Yeah. Um, and some of which are closed, but some of which are not closed. And Gap has been called out for not paying those factories. Right. In some cases. So maybe that's why, but it also seems like a really shady reason why. I don't know. I mean, I guess the thing is like, I think Telfar is going to be A-okay. Yeah, for sure. And if any, yeah, I mean. I hope so. Yeah, we hope so. And if anything, I think a debacle like a brouhaha such as this sort of raises his raises his profile to to some extent. I mean, essentially, what ends up happening is it sort of looks like it pits 
Kanye against Telfar, which I'm sure is not fair, but it almost makes it feel like Kanye pushed Telfar out of the picture somehow, which I'm, it just seems very unlikely, you know, and I, 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 I guess we don't really know if, you know, the t- we don't know the timeline here, right? I mean, Kanye said he wanted to go, he wanted to run the gap like years ago. This has been part of his, uh, this has been part of the Kanye fashion narrative for a long time, you know, that he was going to be Steve Jobs of the gap, right? I mean, you would think that it was Kanye versus Telfar if you get your fashion news from a little Instagram account called Diet Prada. <laughs> Wait, but- I, I, just like before we pivot to that, I just think like, yeah, it's not necessary. It's not that they were pitted against each other for sure. I'm frankly just like, this is who we should be talking about. We should be talking about Moalala. We should be talking about Telfar. Like those are the like creative, interesting weird boundary pushing designers. So anything that like gets those people, not anything, but those are the names that people should be talking about who should be in the running for these kinds of projects. Yeah. The cool thing about, so Moalala has been announced and her name has been attached to Yeezy Gap since the beginning as the Design. design, design director. And it's funny because Kanye has this long history of working with other designers quietly. Like all of the development of Yeezy has involved other designers and some of that's been made public and some of it hasn't been. Um, but he, I mean, he never, I don't think he never spoke directly about it, you know, like well, he, he didn't never do it after the fact. Yeah. But in a lot of the interviews that you did that Dirk did with him he would be like right. oh by the way like Jerry Lorenzo and like Demno were working on the first collection right um but this seems like the first time that he's announced directly that there's a designer working with him you know before the like in the making of the of the collection which is pretty interesting do we have any sense yet of like what that what the like relate how it's going to break down like what what the roles look like is it like how much f- creative freedom she has. Does this become Moalala's collection or is it, um, I just wonder how, if we know more about like what her role will actually be. I really don't know. I mean, yeah, the interesting thing about that is that usually you don't know those kinds of things, but it seems like more designers are moving towards a little more transparency with that. Like when Rihanna announced Fenty, she said that Jaleel Weaver was going to be, I think he's her design director and she's the artistic director. That's right. And Matthew Blousey, um, who used to run Margiela before Galliano was there and is a long time like Raph and Prada guy is now working at Bottega Veneta and that was announced in Women's Wear Daily. So it seems like people are getting a little more open with those, that kind of information, but there's so much that's involved in running a business of, well, any kind of fashion business, you know, like one thing that Will says a lot is like now fashion designers have to also be like marketing gurus. Yeah. And that seems like a big piece of what you do if you're the creative director, quote unquote. And he seems to, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, I think it was 
I don't know if it was Kim or Kanye who posted on Instagram their entire family wearing Mo Lola like yeah. last week. That was yeah. really cool. Um, so clearly he likes what she's doing. He trusts her vision. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, I think it changes the whole, it changes the whole conversation around Yeezy Gap in a way, you know? Essence has an interview with her. I didn't read it the first time around. I just read it now because it's recirculating um, based on this news. But um, Moala sounds pretty tight. That's what I'll say about that. Uh, I really like the tone of the interview in general. There's nothing too juicy in it. Just her talking about like her experience, like her sort of background, um, family background in Nigeria and then going to Central St. Martin, which she dropped out to go show with Fashion East. And um, she sort of like talks about how like most European fashion is just really boring and you know, that she's like sort of part of and more excited about the younger designers who were also say associated with fashion East. She has an awesome quote brands like Burberry and Celine. Now I find really boring. They don't excite me at all. The only people that excite me are Asai and Charlotte Knowles. The only people. Um, Asai is really tight. Yeah. Asai is amazing. It's kind of wild. Just that her stuff is like patent leather and primary colors and like super sexy and, um, not, not, I mean, just a hard to, not an obvious, like sort of like gap interpretation, but what, a, you know, not that that matters. Obviously she's super talented and, um, Kanye seems to have, I mean, Kanye has a pretty good grasp of like sweatpants and, um, dusty colored palettes and whatnot that I think like it, to me is a really interesting element to add to Moalala's work. So, what about Diet Prada? Every time Diet Prada's in the news and I, we have to like pay attention, I kind of like groan. But I, I think um, Rachel, your story in fashion, who will cancel the cancelers? I thought the answer was me. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Diet Prada started as two like disgruntled fashion sort of um professionals professionals <laughs> nice way of putting it who started this account it's like a genius and simple idea you you just out you expose knockoffs in fashion high and low so you like you you find a valentino dress from 15 years ago and you show that it's like eerily similar to one that's by sale at zara right now yeah. And like they did that for a while and became huge. I'm just, I'm recapping this because it like took me a moment to think about, and your story does this well, but just to think about like how diet product got where they are, like what kind of like leaps they made to become sort of what it is, I think, although I don't follow it super closely. So I'm probably wrong about some of it, but just that initial idea of calling out knockoffs. Um, is like a simple and genius thing that got them like a massive following off the bat, right? Yeah. And I think that also, you know, and several people who I spoke to pointed this out, including people who dislike or no longer follow, followed Diaprata. That's actually been pretty 
impactful. So, you know, a lot of designers will talk about, you know, amongst themselves or uh, sort of whisper to each other that it's like their worst nightmare to end up on Prada for knocking something off. Um, and I think a lot of brands have become not necessarily like fast fashion, although maybe to some extent, a lot of brands have become a lot more um, sort of cognizant about not uh, knocking off designers, other designers. Um, but eventually they sort of widened their scope to cover everything that is wrong in fashion. And they do like red carpet commentary and they talk a lot about cultural appropriation. I mean, there are a lot of things that you would, because, and I think this is in part because a lot of things are user submitted or like brought to their attention by, by followers of the account you know, a lot of things would sort of break on diet Prada. So they were the first people to post about the Dolce and Gabbana video um, leading up to their show in China where there were these models who were like struggling to eat uh, cannoli with chopsticks. Just a, a totally horrible video, which eventually their posting of that led to the cancellation of um, the show that Dolce was going to do in uh in china and now they've kind of undergone this this maybe third they're entering this third chapter where they're covering a lot of news that has like nothing to do with fashion and i would guess it's like i don't know i mean i thought of it as like the the way that the fashion industry sort of takes in news like they said to me in our interview that the feed is often like a mirror of what they're taking in in real time and to mm -hmm. me it seems pretty similar to how my friends who are really in fashion, like really, really in fashion, digest the news. Mm -hmm. Do you guys know what I mean? Uh, no. Can you say a little more about that? Well, in terms of like what is, what people are paying attention to and how things are framed. So there's very much a social justice activist yeah. bent to a lot of the um, way that they, I think, have been posting about the news. But then they also um, started using this like new format that looks like a magazine article. Like at first I thought, oh my God, is Diet Prada launched a magazine where they have like a lead image, a headline, and then a little deck with like- I have to admit, I thought that they were screenshot posting screenshots of Teen Vogue articles. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that. Um, but as they've been making this adjustment, they have kind of struggled to leave their earlier kind of cattiness and style of coverage behind, which is to me really indicative of this like call out and cancel culture, which took over all of fashion for a period of years and which I think they really pioneered. Um, and like, what about that, though? Because I, I got to a point where I had to just smash the unfollow button because I was just so sick of their, like, these petty, like, call-outs, more so with the designer knockoff stuff, going back to that. But, like, it just became so, like, tiresome. Like, I felt like, yeah, I mean, knockoffs are bad for sure, but if you start really just looking for them... I mean, there are coincidences, you know, or, or there are um, things that could look similar in photos that aren't actually all that similar at all. 
uh, in real life in lots of other ways. And I just felt like they were a little too eager or sort of felt like there was this feeling of like, you could sense that there was like this power behind it that I felt like they were wielding in a, in sort of a cumbersome way that became kind of counterproductive. And I think that's kind of the danger with cancel culture in general to some extent. Right. Yeah. They definitely started to, it definitely started to feel like they were um, pretty like zealous in their, in, in wielding their power to yeah. call people out. Cause I mean, die product their best is, you know, die product calling out big companies for ripping off independent right. designers who, you know, and that shit happens all the time. But I, 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 I totally agree with you, Noah. Like I, remember thinking that I was losing my mind because they posted sort of a side-by-side -side comparison of a dress and the two things looked like did not look at all similar yeah. to me. I was like, what am I looking at here? Like what, what exactly is, is happening? And, and the sort of like grasping of straw at straws that the account was doing. Um, and they've all smashed the unfollow button. And um, I mean, we, ha we haven't even gotten into the, the Kanye of it all yet, but um, as someone that Rachel spoke with her for her story points out, it seems like they've always they they've always had sort of a bias with regards to Kanye in fashion and Virgil Abloh, mm -hmm. right? Like there's always it always felt to me like they would they were a little quick or a little eager to try to take those guys down as though maybe they don't really belong or don't deserve any like you know whatever status they may have in in the fashion world and um does that seem right like there was sort of a there's they always kind of had it out for those guys in a sense i mean many people in the fashion world do that's no secret well i would say that they i don't know if i i don't really know if um I, I I would say probably it's it's most accurate to say that they have a they have no tolerance for like a gray area. Mm -hmm. So once someone is they're like you know pretty militant about if someone does something wrong they're not allowed back in. Right. Um, and so that was sort of what motive I think that is what what motivated in part their. Kanye post that I discussed that they deleted, which was like these satirical mock-ups of Kanye Gap clothing that said MAGA and slavery was a choice and that sort of thing, um, which people hated and they ended up deleting and apologizing for that. But uh, so I think that they have this attitude that like, if you've done something wrong, then we're going to hold you to that wrong thing. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to say whether or not like people have been treated fairly in that system. Cause it's kind of by nature, not a fair system, depending on your kind of um, definition of <laughs> justice. <laughs> um, so. But what they, what's interesting about, what happened here with this satirical their big satirical brick of um the pretend kanye gap collection is like how it exposed 
their own flaw in that, you know, how it exposed the ways in which they're sort of perpetuating the kind of culture that they're supposedly out to expose, you know? So in, in not mostly with regards, I think to, you know, they failed to acknowledge Moalola's appointment and which is like the, the bigger exciting story here. So they're, you know, sort of like, burying her her narrative um to take a cheap shot at a big celebrity which is like that's that like you know supposedly like that's the problem with like culture today is that everyone is overlooking that all of these really talented people especially women and people of color are being overlooked so that everyone can pay attention to what big powerful men are doing yeah yeah and that's exactly what they did Mm-hmm. those fuckers <laughs> well I think like what's what was interesting to me is that like over the past I mean I think like cancel culture is like not necessarily going to go away and you can even see you know on their account they have been posting about things like you know these women's wear brands like reformation um where the fo- and like man repeller where like the founder sort of like is steps away from the business, like those people effectively, like you could say, got canceled, but there are all of these really interesting, super creative, really smart initiatives to actually look at the system of fashion and say, yeah, like this is rather than being like, uh, capitalism, actually saying, how can we meaningfully change what is happening in this system to make it more diverse, more responsible, you know, more ethical in lots of different ways. Um, So things like, you know, the Black and Fashion Council and Aurora James 15% pledge. And these are really actionable initiatives that I think are going to have a big impact and already are, you know, having an impact. You know, Sephora signed on to the, 15% pledge, for example. So it's like, where does that lead this, where does that leave this sort of culture that is, you know, okay, let's all, today the main character on Instagram and Twitter is this person who did something really terrible. You know, Brian, when I talked to Brian Boy about this, he was saying that he thinks cancel culture is really impactful when it comes to businesses, but that it's, it's ridiculous and doesn't work when it is used on individuals, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting perspective. Huh. I mean, I think, I think I, yeah, I mean, Diet Prada, like, what do we want from them? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah, that's I just, I just like, you know, sh- should they just keep um, posting, like taking pot shots at Virgil, a designer who literally, his whole thing is that design is changing an existing idea by 3%. Right. Right, that's the thing. I mean, do we whatever. want them to be like a, a mouthpiece for social justice and fashion? Do we? It is a little bit like, well, this is what happens when you don't really have like a healthy fashion media ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- theoretically, there would be more outlets publishing more co- journalism that would be handling the the heavy lifting uh for diet prada you know um and there just isn't i just feel like we're in a weird spot with that right now yeah i think you're right 
But I also think, I don't know. I mean, they, they very much resist the labels of, you know, I ask them like, do you consider yourself like journalists or um, bloggers or are you social media activists? And they were like, we don't really subscribe to any of that. We, we have a very like um, sort of fluid sense of what it is that we do. And I think some people, I mean, there was a New York Times story maybe a year ago that criticized them for that kind of ethical murkiness. But I think every person who works in fashion has ethical murkiness. <laughs> I mean, that is like part of covering fashion. It's like yeah. what you kind of agree to when you decide this is the industry that you want to be in. And navigating that ethical murkiness to do something interesting, powerful, creative is the, that's part of the game. You know, that's part of the industry. Um, I, mean, I don't necessarily fault them for not being able to explain or not, not, I shouldn't say that, not wanting to define what it is that they, that they do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially because I think, you know, there are a lot of people who disrupt the industry and then decide, you know, go through some kinds of growing pains and try to figure out like what it is that they want to do. And then they just like end up becoming a magazine or a website. Mm-hmm. right <laughs> and you're like what no we're like all already doing this <laughs> like we don't like that's, that's not that's like kind of a tale as old as time so I sort of appreciate that they are continuing to experiment with what it is that they're doing and um pushing themselves to like try different things and and it also it rep I mean it represents it does represent a certain strain of the fashion industry I mean I think the way that they follow and post about politics to me is pretty, it, it has echoes to me of how, for example, people in fashion tend to crowd around a story where Donald Trump all of a sudden like intersects with the fashion world. So like when the Equinox founder was, or not the Equinox founder, but rather the real estate magnate who is the primary investor in Equinox was revealed to be a major Trump supporter and everyone boycotted Soul Cycle for like 20 days. And then that was it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it sort of, it mirrors that sort of um, short-term performative activism. Mm-hmm. I think Die Prada should just pivot to meme account that's always the move. That, there are some great fashion meme accounts right now. There are. Come to Garçon. It's yeah, great. Come to Garçon is really great. Meta memes honestly still hits. Yeah. And then um, there's one account. The best fashion account is uh, 1 million geobaskets, where someone programmed an account to post a picture of geobaskets 1 million times. Wow. <laughs> People comment and try to get as far down as possible. Um, real thriving ecosystem down there. Maybe Luxury Avenue can be my meme account. Yeah. <laughs> I've never made a meme before. You've never made a meme before? Every one of my stories is a meme. It's a extended word only meme. Right. The world unto itself. Mm-hmm. So I'll see you guys at Fashion Week in September. <laughs> We're not allowed to go because the EU isn't allowing in any. That's fucking. I think they'll make an exception for us. 
That is so sick and good. I hope that there is a great fashion week and no Americans are allowed to go. Honestly, they would probably prefer it that way. <laughs> what, yeah. is, what, is, what is Paris Fashion Week without, you know, knee-to-knee packed benches and lots of, you know, kissing of the cheeks and sweaty packed parties night after night? Smoking cigarettes with Noah at the, you know, the cafe. So it's, this episode is not just, I do things other than smoke cigarettes in life and in Paris. It's just, that happens to be most of what I do. But Why are you smoking so many cigarettes right now? Why am I? Yeah. I'm not. You have you three those- cigarettes in your mouth. <laughs> <It's just> jam- <laughs> um, sorry, I, I blew that your one. Your phone is smoking a cigarette. So it seemed like the brands were going to like, those that survived COVID were going to like slow down and reconsider, you know, be better to the world and the people and everything. But they're really just not, they really just want to get right back to it. Well, I don't know. The thing about Fashion Week is that, yeah, of course, like a lot of things are going back to business as usual. And I'm sure it will be really strange in some ways. And hopefully some people do some really cool and interesting things. Probably we'll still get the Raff and Prada debut. Oh yeah, women's collection though, right? Well, in Milan they're combining men's and women's, so. Oh, Oh, right. Oh, that's a big deal to look forward to. Yeah! Even though Prada's already kind of been Raff (laughs) and Mucha, maybe. Yeah. Some Some have speculated. I wonder if they'll come out and like take an epic bow together and you'll get two of fashion's most beautiful, most photogenic faces out there um, mm-hmm. doing like, you know, heart hands or whatever. Holding hands, making plans. Yeah. Maybe Raph will come out with Mucha like on his shoulders. Yeah. That sounds really likely. And um, march around. Yeah, he'll march around. Actually, like he'll be wearing a weird suit where it's like his, so it looks like he, like Mucha is really tall and has long legs, but she's sitting on his shoulders. So episode 99 of Corporate Lunch um, brought to you live from Luxury Avenue, the most luxury avenue. I think now is a good time to announce that for episode 100 of Corporate Lunch, we're going to do 100 vibes. 100 vibes. And... Which might take three hours. I, I'm not sure. It's going to be like a full marathon, though. It's going to be a double uh, album. But if you have a vibe that you'd like to submit for the 100 Vibes episode for us to read on air, hit my DMs. DM Sam Hyde. Uh, send me an audio file or just write it out. Um, Maybe we can just think back out. to all of all the beautiful things we've done in 99 episodes. We've done the pants episode we did a poetry submission contest we we had um beautiful men like jeremy o'harris on the show to talk and share their ideas and voices we've had um what else have we done emily Bodie has been on the podcast yeah a lot of cool people we maybe we'll we'll we're one of the 6,000 podcasts that has had Chris Black on as a guest. Yeah, if your vibe is, is directly inspired by Corporate Lunch, that's even better and will, you know, increase your chances of us reading it. Yeah. 
It's true. Yeah, or you could just thank us for changing your life, making your life better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. You're married to this podcast.